Hi, and welcome to the Confident Woman Podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Erin. And we're here to keep it real, raw, and what it means to be the confident woman. All right, ladies, today we have a very special guest with us, Candace Reed. I'm super excited to dive in today as we're going to talk about all the things of style and fashion and influence and beauty and everything that she's going to be sharing today is so needed. I know, especially for me and my lack of style that I jokingly say that I just always wear the same stuff because when we're faced with so many different decisions in our life, we just try to make it as simple as possible. So today, our guest, Candace, she is a stylist enthusiast. And she began cultivating her personal style blog in 2012 while living in New York City. She's inspired by the heartbeat of the city and its many fashion influences and the beauty of its various forms. Candace found herself desiring to have a career in fashion. While maintaining her fashion influence at CandaceReed.com, Candace also is a full-time stylist with the Wardrobe Therapy Fashion Consulting Firm located in the capital of Ohio here in our hometown, Columbus. Here, she takes her talents to individual and corporate clients to provide exceptional personal styling and wardrobe consulting services. So welcome, Candace. Thank you for being here. And let's just dive in. Like how, you know, yeah. you talked about the blog getting started in 2012. Mm-hmm. And, you know, did you already like see yourself kind of in this space or like, let's let's talk about like how that all started. Yeah. So let's go back to how that even happened. So I, before I started my blog, I competed in the Miss America system for three years. And so I competed in the state of Georgia. And at that time, that was right around, that was 2008 to 2010. And that was around the time where the internet was really starting to flourish, I should say. And one of the key things they were looking for in the readiness of the job of Miss America was a marketing strategy, really. And so as a part of that, I started a blog to kind of keep my community, my supporters, the judges even like up to date on what I was doing philanthropically. And so when I phased out of the Miss America system, because I like I competed for like three years, didn't win, had spent a ton of money. And I was like, I feel like I've garnered all that I can from this phase of life and it's time to move on. And naturally the blog just kind of stuck with me. I ended up working for a pageant blog and decided I really liked kind of that writing component. And so when I moved on from that, I started my own blog when I moved to New York City and it just kind of became a thing, but I had no clue about monetizing or anything. I just liked telling stories. And so that was really the catalyst for starting my own independent blog. Oh, that's incredible. Like I didn't realize that you were competed. So yeah, I like don't talk about it. I know pageants have a lot of like weird people have a lot of weird feelings about them and the Miss America organization is going through like a huge transition. And so I'm like, sometimes I just don't talk about it. (laughs) You know, I I totally relate. And and it's, I, you know, for those who haven't um, heard my story before, I also competed uh, not in Miss America, but as a a bodybuilding competitor in the bikini division. So kind of, I understand this whole competition and, and really the prep work and the beauty and the expectation and being on stage and, and being judged and, you know, all of that stuff that really comes with it. So it could going into it, you know, having multiple shows myself and not placing or even winning at that time. And, you know, eventually like on my last show I I did. And it was just at this point where it's like, you know, I feel really confident, like that journey has ended, like to bookend that and to move forward and using that as a catalyst into, you know, helping other women. And I assume the same thing, like your experience there was like a catalyst into help women in the fashion, the beauty, in this, 
whether this competition was a phase of your life, but yet it still transformed you in some capacity, correct? Right, right. No, that's absolutely correct. And for me too, like I grew up in a single parent home and while we all knew it was a good opportunity, it also put a lot of stress on our family because compete to be competitive, there's a dollar amount that comes with that. And I just felt like I've garnered everything I could. This is putting a lot of unspoken stress on my family. I think it's time to move on. And the indicator of that was really once I left that industry, the number of opportunities that I got, like I literally never applied for a job until I applied for my job at wardrobe therapy. It's the first job I actually submitted a resume for because I met so many people in the industry where like it more than paid off. Mm, That's incredible. And it's, you know, when you think of it, like how every person comes into our life and they're there to teach us or lead us to something, right? Right. And so even if this experience, you know, whatever our listeners might be, be experiencing in their current life, it's always meant to lead you to the next stepping stone. And like you just said, you didn't, you wouldn't have met those people in your life to get you to where you're at today. So let's, let's talk briefly about the blog. Um, What was it that was like on your heart and you're just like, I got to write about it. What, where did you begin in this journey? Yeah. So when I was, when I was living in New York, it really just started as like a diary because like mm-hmm. I was, I'm from a small town and like for someone from a small town to move to the big apple, it's like a really big deal. So it was really an online diary of like what I was doing in the city, what was I experiencing and all of that good stuff. But a part of my story is I left New York after that first year because I was engaged and Jason lived in West Virginia. We dated long distance And I just had this like gut feeling like down in my soul and spirit. I was like, our marriage isn't going to survive if he moves to New York. Like it's not going to work for us because we'll be two ships in the night. So I left New York. So I closed the, the chapter to that dream, moved to West Virginia. And when I was living in West Virginia, I just was like, I need something to do because it was literally like a season of wilderness for me. And so the blog really began to evolve during that season where I, uh, we literally were barely making ends meet just to be completely transparent. And I was doing a lot of excess shopping to find fulfillment and happiness. And I realized that like buying things wasn't going to help me. So I started these like shopping fast and then started, you know, taking one item, like this was my $30 I could spend this month, like eight years ago. What can I do with this one garment of clothing? How can I transform it several different ways? And that became a lot of the core DNA of Candace and Reed Mm. at the time was how do I adapt and make things moldable and, you know, stretch that dollar because that really is the reality of a lot of people. We don't have endless dollars to spend on clothing. So how can we take it and adapt it and make it work for us? Um, also considering like shape and silhouette, but really how do we take trend and make it applicable and how do we stretch that piece and really make it work for us? Oh, I love that. Cause that's totally something I know that I would need as well. Cause when we look in our, our closet, just lined with clothing, we're just like, we have nothing to wear. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But we have we have something to wear for like days on end, probably years. But yet, it's really about taking that piece, like you said, and and stretching it, making it you know work. Yeah, yeah. Finding a top and how can we dress it up, dress it down, day mm-hmm. night wear, uh, you know, like everyday wear. So, can you kind of walk us through it? Like, what was something? Did you have resources at the time to kind of help aid in that, or is that just kind of like? you had to get creative, right? You had to make it work. And how did it really start to take off? And again, this is, again, the backstory, right? To lead to where you got. And I'm so excited. Like this is, I love these kind of conversations because it really does get into 
we all start somewhere and that somewhere is exactly where you need to be. Right. So thankfully I come from my husband's family. We're all really creative. The reads, like we just have this kind of like natural DNA. And so my sister-in-law took my photos for a long time. Jason was like my proofreader. I just got really creative with like outfitting and styling. And I had, I had some experience in styling, but I had never quite identified that as a key gift that I had. So the blog really activated that when I began to see, okay, like I have now made 10 different outfits, like out of this one piece. And you've seen it on the blog several different ways, or we talked through the storytelling of building an outfit. And so it was kind of me doing that process. And also at that time, we were starting to see um, a high increase in kind of this blogger idea. That's when everyone called it blogging still. And I started following like the top bloggers at the time, which was like Gala Gonzalez, Rachel Parcell, Julia um, Engel. And I really just began to watch, like I'm a very strategic person. I watch concepts and patterns and like those little nuanced details that we don't normally catch with the naked eye. I'm looking for them. And I began to take some of those elements and ended up being able to hire like a consultant, another girl who was really doing well in the space. And she kind of armed me with the tools and the tricks that I needed to move forward. And shortly after that, I made my first $100 on the blog. And that was really the beginning. I was like, okay, I can actually do this. And that one brand partner, $100 eventually went to $300 and then $300 went to $500. And then I got my first $1,000 campaign. But it really, that was over the course of several years, like maybe three years of like making no money and just like kind of going with it and just creating content to create content. Oh, I love that because it, it right there, you know, for anyone listening is that there is no overnight success, right? It's, it's putting in the work, doing the work, right? So right. I, when we look at this from like even a fitness perspective, it's doing the reps, right? Because you're not going to get the muscles overnight. It's consistently showing up, creating the content, putting in the work, like you said, mm-hmm. year after year. But the one thing that I assume stayed the same is that you were passionate about what you did and you weren't necessarily looking at it and say, well, if it's not making money now, I have to throw in the towel and I'm going to quit and give up on what lights me up. Right. So right. anyone listening right there, that's proof. Keep following your passions because it, it will continue to lead to something or at least just being in that creative lane opens the doors for possibilities and ideas. And like you said, meeting new people and really catapulting you into you know, where you're at today, working for a fashion consulting firm, wardrobe therapy. Like, can we talk more about like that and and really how, you know, where you're at with that company and yeah. the services it offers? Okay. So I back in pageant, after I exited pageant world, I started freelance styling. I freelanced out a couple of Miss Georgias, which I just was like, I enjoyed this. This is fun. And then I basically styled like friends in college. I was the girl who, when we went on trips, everyone was wearing clothing out of my suitcase. But again, coming from a rural area, a small town, you don't think about a creative career being the primary. You're going to do a traditional doctor, teacher, lawyer, journalist, whatever, a safe bet. So during my time in West Virginia, I had exited my master's program at NYU. I knew that I still wanted a secondary degree of some like a master's. And so I began doing research and was feeling really inspired by all of my time at New York City and then the New York City Ballet. 
And so I did some research and I was like, I actually think I would like to pursue a master's in fashion. Mind you, I already had a BFA in dance. So a lot of those creative careers or creative degrees, they began to, you kind of study them 360. So if you're in dance, you're learning about photography, you're learning about different forms of art. And so we learned about fashion a little bit naturally. And so I ended up getting my master's online from SCAD. And as I went through that program, I realized that it was styling that I really wanted to do. I wanted to help people create their own marketing image, so to speak, through clothing. So I finished the two-year program at SCAD and started looking for jobs in Columbus because Columbus is the third fashion capital and it wasn't a saturated market like an LA or a New York. And then again, I knew that like, I just didn't have great feelings about Jason and I living in such a large metropolitan city. And so Columbus made a lot of sense and the timing just aligned after like six months of looking for a job. And I ended up with wardrobe therapy and the company's been around for 15 years. And so we're a team of, uh, there's five stylists and we service people all over the city and just help people kind of curate their wardrobes and hone in on their style DNA. And it's like some of the most rewarding work that I've ever done, Mm. honestly. Right there, following your passion because it, it's fulfilling to you. And it, mm-hmm. when you have that, you know, aligning your passion, it becomes your purpose because you have such a deep rooted connection to what it is within you that lights you up. But yet it's coming from a place of service to, you know, help right. others not feel <clears throat> that they're in that same space as you were at some point. So when we talk about like fashion and uh, like personal style, how does that look for the individuals you work with? What if they don't even have a style or don't know their style or are they trying to incorporate this into like a personal branding and like, let's walk through that kind of scenario and like really what it would be about. Right. Well, I think first and foremost, it's really important regardless of status, who we are, income, class level, whatever. Clothing is a unique way to communicate a little piece of who we are. It tells a little bit about what we want to represent to the world, you know, regardless of all those extra secondary details. And so a part of our job as stylists is to just help people hone in on that. What I love about wardrobe therapy is that we help people with so many different vast needs. It's the one, the one and done type of project. Like I need to get ready for this event. I can't find anything. That's obviously what we do. Um, But the real beauty of what we do is really that consistency in a wardrobe and helping a client build and curate. Now, what is interesting about our company, a lot of our clients are fashion players. They enjoy fashion. They appreciate fashion. But what we're doing is we're bringing that unique perspective in how to add dimension and positive not able to do because styling, quote unquote, isn't their area of expertise. And so what's beautiful about a stylist and a client is really this co-collaborative relationship of us kind of working together to meet the needs of the client. So that's one component, but there are also clients who don't have any understanding of what their style is. And I walk through through that process, you know, hand-holding a little bit more to understand what exactly their needs are. And so with, with that process of onboarding, it's going through a lot of language and a lot of talking and a lot of conversation to understand what are the commonalities that they're communicating because they do have a style DNA. They just don't know how to identify it. And so it's my job to be the doctor, so to speak, to say, you're consistently saying this, so it's this. Oh, 
Good. Yes. I, I love that because it's like, you know, I remember at the start of my, you know, kind of shifting gears and I feel like, you know, we change our style and our wardrobe as we continue to grow and evolve as, mm-hmm. as individuals. And I love that you mentioned that because mm-hmm. it's like, sometimes as we're transitioning, we might feel that we have to hold on to a certain style or a look because of that, that's who we were. So I love that you tie in this identity. So how do you kind of like help women, you know, let go of what that identity was so they can embrace like this new, new idea of who they want to become and helping that in between transition to really step fully into, you know, their new wardrobe, their new identity and feeling so confident in who they are. Yeah. I think it's just oftentimes we talk a lot about this, repeating it back to the individual that you're talking to. You're saying this, this is the consistent conversation we're having. So there is no need to hang on to X, Y, Z, A, B, C. Like we need to get rid of it. So like when we're kind of doing that onboarding process, we talk a lot about like, what do you resonate with? Who's some people you're inspired by? And we try to identify what is the style DNA. But even before we get to that, we identify shape and silhouette because shape and silhouette sets the precedence for what we can and can't do. Mm. And so we allow that to be a guide. So let's say that we are a pear shape, uh, but we love more of a whimsical, like boho style. Then there's parameters of that we have to navigate within that style framework that will say, yes, we can do this. Yes, we can't do that. Because if you're pear shape, that means you have narrow shoulders and you're wider on your hips, which is the common shape of most women in America. So we need to be sure that like you have definitive shoulder lines. We need to pull you in at the waist. Like there's some navigating that we go through to understand what that is, but it's just like, the big thing is if you're holding on to old things, they're not serving you and you can't make room for new things if you're holding on to old things. So you just got to let them go. Yes. I love that. Cause that's, that right there is so true in every facet of your life. It doesn't apply just to fashion and style mm-hmm. really as a as we evolve again, we're constantly shedding and becoming something new. So we have to learn to detach and let go of what was so that we can welcome and embrace what is and what could be possible. So I love that you, you tie that into it because it really is so applicable. You know, what if you're like kind of finding yourself in this area where you're holding on, like maybe it's sentimental value of, of some articles of clothing or, you know, the longing of what was. And so kind of, again, finding ways that would really be conducive for that woman to just let go, but yet feeling they're still comfortable in this, this growth process. Yeah. I think sometimes with clothing, because clothing holds memories, Mm -hmm. sometimes you have to go through this process of ridding yourself in phases. It can't, sometimes it's a bit aggressive to do it all in one day, or like we, we really focus on doing things seasonally and it helps to keep the process from becoming overwhelming. But when there's this, that a special emotional attachment to clothing, we, you know, we suggest like, let's fold them down. Let's stow them somewhere. Like, let's move them out of the wardrobe and put them in their rightful place. Like we need to compartmentalize them rather than them hanging in the closet, so to speak, or like taking time. This may sound silly, but like mourning a piece of clothing, like relishing in those memories and then like, okay, I feel full off of that. I'm ready to like part ways with that. I want to give it to someone else who can benefit from that. So I think there's a couple of things you can do psychologically to kind of talk you through a process, but we just, we are there to be support, to be like, it's okay. Like we have garments of clothing that we haven't let go of, but like they're now stowed away in the attic or in a secondary bedroom underneath a bed, or we have passed them down to a daughter or a son or something of the sort. You put them where they need to be. 
Oh, I love that. Yeah. So it doesn't mean letting go is letting go forever. It just means just letting go of that, that stage and phase of your life and neatly packing them away and like a memory box or something. We kind of just mm-hmm. place them maybe with some photos like that, that right. you know, they're still there. We're not discarding them. I mean, okay, that's that piece of my life is now over and I'll never you know, right. Claim it again. So I love that because I, I I know like even me personally, if I'm looking at my closet, I'm like, Oh, but that was that shirt that one time I did that thing. And it's like, every time I look at it, I'm, I'm like reminded of the memory and it holds me so dear. Like, Oh, I can relive that over and over again. And then I'm like, but if I got rid of it, I feel like I'm closing that chapter and am I prepared to emotionally detach from that article and that memory? So I love what you do right there and just helping navigate these women, right? So slow steps, confidently building up their wardrobe, allowing them that space and that, that grieving healing process of this transition that we're going through as we become who we're created to be and what we want to be. So what about, you know, when we talk about the whole fashion and style and wardrobing, how much does like coloring play into it or like the accessories and really is that, you know, for say for if, if you're a personal brand or just uh, sometimes you just love every color. So like how yeah. do you kind of really bring it in so that that signifies who you are? Yeah. So, I mean, in terms, there's like, hmm, how do I say this? I feel like everyone has a color story in a brand, like to your point about like wearing athleisure. So normally you're probably like in more tonal grays, blacks, blues, like that's your color palette. <laughs> yes, it is. And so like, you don't have to deviate from that. We all have things that we naturally respond to. My job as a stylist is to come in and just say, okay, this color palette, we like it. There's a few variants here that don't really work for you because you have warmer, cooler skin. This is making you look more red. This isn't doing anything for you. Kind of pulling out like what are those anomaly colors that don't add value to your overall image that we're trying to create. So we kind of talk through that, but I very much let the client lead me and tell me what that is. And then I'm going to provide some feedback. I'm like, okay, I'm aligned with that. Mm, I think we could try this, et cetera. Um, And then accessories play a huge role in styling. They are just finishing pieces. Like oftentimes the difference between a gray outfit and a fantastic outfit is an earring and a necklace and a bracelet or whatever it might be, depending on the person's style. Some people don't like earrings. Some people like bracelets, like whatever it is, but it's those finishing details that really transform an outfit and take it from like good to great. Mm, such good tips right there. And it's funny how you just called me out on my color palette. So for those <laughs> listening, we're on Zoom and she's looking at me in my gray hoodie sweatshirt, which is so cozy. And it is like a chilly fall morning. So here we are. And yeah. it's funny because like my colors are black, white, gray. And I do a splash of like a pink would be like an accent color to me to still, you know, bring in some of that femininity and mm-hmm. the chic, like chic simplicity and stuff. And, you know, I remember having a conversation with one girl a few years back and I told her that was my color palette. And she just looked at me and was like, no, it's not. And I'm like, but this is where I know I identify in. And if you gave me mm-hmm. all these bright colors, I would not feel my like best yourself. self. Right. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I just still remember that conversation from years ago. And I'm thinking, well, maybe she was onto something, but yet then it kind of created some like confusion no. in my own head. We- I'm like, I don't yeah, know, maybe I need more color. Be, we have to be really careful that we're not projecting our personal preferences onto other people. So when I walk into a situation, I completely like detach my personal emotion and what I prefer versus the client, like what their needs and what they feel comfortable in, unless they have communicated they want me to push them. 
So then my, there's a shift in my, my energy and in like what we're kind of doing, but it's, you know, even as people and as, as women, like we have to be so careful about how we're like, well, you would look great in this. No, I, I would look great in that. And that's what I would wear. I need to be careful that I'm not projecting that onto you because we're all our own individual beings. And so just because we like something doesn't mean that it works for everyone else. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent like spot on. Cause after that conversation, I was like, I'm pretty sure like, I do know. I? Well, yeah. It, it, yeah, it got me questioning and I, and I was taking a look at my closet. I'm like, okay, well, I do have some brighter colors, but I find that I don't actually wear them, you know, unless I absolutely need to. And maybe there might be like a rare moment when I do, but yeah, I always gravitate to just the simplicity aspect of it because it's like, I think for, you know, when you're making decisions nonstop all day and it comes to picking out an outfit or, you know, something to wear that's outside of your everyday comfort that's kind of like, for me personally, like my mind shuts down, like, oh my gosh, so many choices, so many choices, so many choices. And I just go right to default black, white, gray. So how, what are some tips that would be that you can offer that would help women just simplify this decision-making where maybe they are looking at their closet. And again, I have nothing to wear, but yet you have everything to wear. What are Mm -hmm. some of those like kind of tips that you can help really in that process. Yeah. I was like, that's like t- totally what we do on a day-to-day basis. Like a lot of our clients, it's the ease of getting dressed. We're taking the guesswork out of it. And like everything in the wardrobe, like I have one client, I know every piece of clothing in her wardrobe works. Everything works. Now it's taken us time and seasons to get to that place, like lots of consistent purging. But I think the number one thing just from like a, I want to call it like a day-to-day consumer, just like a, reg- a, a day-to-day girl or woman, don't buy things that you don't love. Like just stop doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Like stop doing it. Stop panic shopping because you find that you accumulate so many things that don't actually add value. Really try to think about things from a 360 perspective. I take myself through my personal self and I also apply this to my clients too. Like number one, am I buying this because I need it or because I want to shop? So if I'm able to identify that, that tells me what framework and what mindset I'm in. Number two, can I think of three to five immediate ways that I would utilize this piece of clothing? Then I kind of go from, okay, now that I'm considering buying this, is there anything in my wardrobe that does the same job? Like what's different about this that what's currently in my wardrobe does is not able to fulfill? Also like maintenance of a garment. So like, let's talk about cost per wear. Is this something that I can wash or launder myself? Or am I going to need to get it dry cleaned and really understanding that? And then again, that final question coming back to it. If I go home and I don't purchase it, can I stop thinking about it? Like if I can't stop thinking about it, I likely probably need it. But if I forget about it at 24 to 48 hours, then I really didn't need it in the first place. Ooh, such good tips. Because how many times do we find ourselves we're just like aimlessly in a store picking up articles of clothing. You're like, Oh, so cute. So cute. Right. And you buy it. And then you come home and either you have something very similar to it, or it just gets filed away and you don't, it's not practical. It was just almost like an impulse buy without a practical sense of, Uh right. You're like, but I have probably 10 other white shirts that would be very similar to this. Do I need an 11th shirt or whatever it is? Right. And And I'm the queen of like, when I shop personally, cause I see clothing, at such a broad, like I'm shopping all the time, not for myself, but for clients. And so for our household and like, it'd be really easy for me to be always shopping because it's already what I do. So I have like a little check system for myself. I normally leave it in the bag for three days with the receipt. And I'm like, okay, 
let me see, have I been thinking about the piece? Like, was it, was everything I feeling in that moment accurate? Did I go back and skim the wardrobe? And then I really think about it and I'm like, okay, actually I did not want that That total impulse buy. I should return it. And oftentimes my husband's like an accountability partner. I'm like, I need you to return this for me Mm -hmm. because I think I'll talk myself back into it. And again, that's because I'm seeing clothing at such a vast variety that there's always something that I could buy and validate the purchase. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I love that because I actually do the same thing with my husband. If if I have to return something, I make him come because I know that he will not, he, his patience for my shopping is like, he won't tolerate it. no, he yeah. goes, you said you were only returning it. Why are you buying something else? Why are you spending the extra time in their shop? I'm like, ah, yeah, you got me. Okay. Return only leave in the store. And that's where, where it right. ends. And then also like, what are, what are some of the, um, when we find ourselves in these situations where it's like you intentionally need to buy like a dress for a certain event or something like that. And then when you go to the store, you can't find it. Right. But anytime right. you don't need the dress, you find a hundred million dresses that you must have. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I love that you account those steps in there because it makes you pause and think about it. Like, do I need this? Do you know, am I going to think about it later? Do I have a practical wear for it? Is this what I'm looking for, for that special event, et cetera. So yeah, mm-hmm. I love all these tips that you're sharing. And it's just, it's incredible. You know, when, when women, we take that step back and like overview this 360 overview of our wardrobe, our identity, our, you know, really our goals in the outcome. So I love that you talk, touch upon that as well as just providing the simplicity to help women navigate this with confidence right. in their wardrobe. Absolutely. So awesome. Oh my gosh. So is there anything you want to leave our, our listeners with, or, you know, how can people find you and learn more about you and wardrobe therapy and everything, all the good things that you're doing? Yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah. So we do have, I have a brand new website. I say we, cause like I have like a little team that helps me with all things Candace and Marie. I guess I was going to say too, a lot of people ask me, why are you a full-time influencer and a full-time wardrobe stylist? So I, I'll share that because I get that question a lot. So I was influencing before I started being a full-time stylist. And one of the things I did not like about influencing was how self-consuming it was. Like I'm always thinking about myself and I feel like our life's mission and while you're serving people, it's always about you, honestly. And so I just felt such a strong call to be a part of community, to be surrounded by other women and now men. We have a guy on our team named Ben who is fantastic and it feels like family, but I felt like that I had a greater call to serve people. And so that was really important to me. Like I'm obviously serving a virtual community, but to tangibly serve people in a way that I can't online. And so I feel like I get this happy balance between the two of being able to like serve people on the internet um, at a level and then servicing clients in person. And I feel like I'm fulfilling like my call in both in both capacities, but I felt off balance without one or the other, uh, essentially. Yes. So I, we just figure out how to do it. So we have a brand new website for all things Candace and Reed. So if you guys want to check that out, that would be great. Lots of cool content coming your way. And then on Wardrobe Therapy, we have a weekly blog that um, comes out with style tips and tricks. And so you'll find a lot of fruit on like those practical application tips over on the Wardrobe Therapy blog. And then I share more of my personal story and personal approach to styling on my blog. So you kind of get two different viewpoints, but it's all really style-related and talking about this idea of living a beautiful, well-fashioned life. Oh, I love everything that you've just talked about, everything that you're sharing, because it really, again, let's, you know, bring this full circle. It really is instilling that confidence into that woman to know that she can be, do, and have anything in her life. And it's like our wardrobe is just, it's, it's a way to like 
you know, color our palette, right. To really feel like our best and most confident self. So what you're doing is just incredible. What you're offering and the services and really your, your journey and your story and how you got started is just, it, it's, it's beautiful, right? Because it led you to where you are again, living out your passion without the expectation of becoming an overnight success. And I love that you talked about, you know, influencer, right? Because we see this a lot in social media out there. It's plastered everywhere where you felt this, this tug of war inside where it became so self-consuming and you really wanted to be of a place of service. And so identifying that and pulling it back and creating and pivoting to make your brand and your mission fit with who and what you, you want to, you know, serve and create and offer women. So thank you so much for today's conversation. This has been so inspiring and I loved everything about it. Again, I can't talk about it enough because this is so like, I mean, just I like, like right before our chat here, I was just saying to Candace about, I feel like I manifested you because I know that I need more of this like stylist and really, um, you know, how do I look in my closet and know confidently that I could pick out an outfit that best represents me and makes me feel my best and most confident self. So thank you again for this conversation. And we look forward to following along on your journey as well. So thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the Confident Woman podcast. For more ways to connect with us, check out our Facebook group. It's the Confident Woman on Facebook. There's a ton of amazing ladies in that group that you can connect with as well. My Instagram is at Aaron underscore travels for life. Make sure you go ahead and follow that and follow Rachel as well. What is yours, Rachel? You can follow me on all social medias at I am Rachel Brooks. Awesome. Thanks so much. Look forward to checking you next week.